This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who has not left us to our own devices, but that instead you have given us freedom in your Son, the power of your Spirit, and have spoken to us in your Word. So as we look to your words this morning, Lord, have your way in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We as a society have a serious problem with rest. As one pastor recently put it, the new social script, the new standard response to the greeting, how are you doing, is often, oh, good, just, you know, busy. We're painfully busy. We're exhausted. We're running on fumes. In other words, we are in desperate, desperate need for rest. But what is rest? Is it distracting ourselves with a TV show, a good book, a night out with friends? Is it retreating from our day-to-day grind with a day off or a vacation out of town? Certainly, it can be both of these things, distraction and retreat. But what if our problem is not that we need another day off? It's not that we need another show to binge on Netflix, but our problem is our very way of life. Hebrews chapters three and four are all about entering into God's rest. In a moment, we're going to see, as the writer of Hebrews points to the Israelites as an example of what it looks like to be invited into that rest, and yet to fail to enter it. But before we get there, it's important that we ask the question, what is God's rest? And how does it compare with our distractions and our retreats? In describing God's rest, the author of Hebrews refers back to chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, back to the very beginning when God creates all things and on the seventh day he rests. He rests in the completeness of all things. He rests in the harmony or the shalom of all things. Of all that he has made, it is perfect. He does not rest because he needs a distraction. He does not rest because he needs to retreat. No, he sits at rest because everything is as it should be. Because everything that he has made is very good. This is the rest of God. It's his shalom. It's his harmony. It's his peace. And so to enter into God's rest, it means to experience that peace. It's to align ourselves with God and with the way that he has made us to be, with the way that he has made the world to be. This rest is what we are all deep down longing for. It's what we were made for, and yet we fail to enter it so often, if we're really honest. 
we fail to really feel at peace or in God's peace. And while life is moving faster now than it's ever moved before, this is not a new or unique problem to us and to our generations. No, this is something that humans have struggled with since Genesis chapter 3. In the verses leading up to our reading from Hebrews this morning, the author points to the Israelites as an example of those who have failed to enter God's rest. In chapter 3 of Hebrews, verses 7 and 8, we read, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. As in the rebellion. What is he, the author of Hebrews, referring to here? Well, they're referring to the times when the Israelites, the people of God, had been seeing the works, the miracles of God for 40 years. When they had seen him perform wonder after wonder to save them from Pharaoh, when they'd experienced the grace of God time and time again despite their own wickedness, and when they had seen God's very presence descend onto Mount Sinai, speaking to them, revealing himself to them. And yet despite all of this, despite all of the ways that God showed up for this people, their hearts grew hard. The Israelites rejected God, they rejected his shalom, and instead they chose their own gods. They chose their own way of living. And this rebellion, their disobedience, It made it so that they were unable to enter God's rest, not just unable to enter the promised land for a time, but something inside, something core to them was not able to enter that peace, that shalom. And in the same way, our disobedience, our rebellion, it makes it so that we're unable to enter God's rest. Or if we were to take this this whole idea and flip it and, and frame that positively, It would mean this, to enter God's rest is synonymous with obedience towards God. To to enter that peace, to enter that shalom is synonymous with obeying Him. Now that seems to many of us, I'm sure, as a little bit of a harsh consequence, right? It can feel like this idea of excluding people from peace and rest is a little bit of an extreme response. And yet, as N.T. Wright has pointed out, this is not some random, painful consequence. Like when you're driving a little too fast, which I have never done, but when you're driving a little too fast and you get a speeding ticket, right? All of a sudden, you owe $250 because you drove too fast. That's random. It's just meant to hurt you so that maybe you'll think twice about speeding the next time. But this exclusion from rest, it's not random. No, it's actually a very organic consequence of our actions. Right? This is the equivalent of you're driving too fast, you lose control, you hit a tree, and now you have to pay thousands of dollars to fix your car. It's the natural outcome of your actions, of our actions. That's what our our failure to enter God's rest is like. The reason the Israelites could not do it, the reason that 
you and I cannot enter God's rest so often is because we're walking in disobedience. It's because like Adam and Eve, our disobedience is a rejection of God and of his perfect, harmonious, peaceful plan for the world and for us. As one Christian writer so uh, beautifully put it, it to, to walk in alignment with God is like to go with the grain of wood. It's to go with the grain, but as, but as Romans 2.9 reminds us, and other places in Scripture as well, there will be anguish and distress for everyone who does evil. Or as Eugene Peterson has beautifully translated that very same verse in the message, if you go against the grain, you get splinters. Now, I can still remember, and as I was as I was writing this sermon, this memory came flooding back in. I can still remember a time where I got a splinter in my foot. And my dad, being a dad, decided that he was going to examine it and that he was going to take care of it. So he had me lay on the couch. He sterilized a needle. He grabbed some tweezers, and he decided he was going to dig that splinter out. Now, that's actually probably a fine way to deal with a splinter, but you would have thought that he told me he was going to take the leg off at the thigh right then and there. It was, I'm almost sure my mom had to like sit on top of me to keep me from freaking out and from panicking. Yet despite my fear, despite the struggle, my dad really did believe it was the best thing to do, to, to get that little piece of wood out before it could get infected. And you know, our Heavenly Father actually offers us a very similar treatment to our splinters of disobedience this morning. If you'd like, you can look with me in your, in your bulletin. We're going to look again at our reading from Hebrews. Starting in verse 12, we read, Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides the soul from spirit, joints from marrow. In other words, it's so sharp that it can separate those very things that we can't even imagine being separated. And it's with that sharpness in mind that he continues to write it, meaning God's word, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. God's word, just like that needle and just like those tweezers, is able to cut with precision to expose us, our thoughts, our intentions, to leave us naked before our creator. This image of God's word exposing us, of us standing naked and laid bare before him, I think it's meant to propel our imaginations back to Genesis chapter 3, back to when Adam and Eve, having rejected God, having rebelled against God, stood naked and ashamed. And when they tried to hide their nakedness, God came to them and he exposed them with his words. He exposed them by asking these questions. Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you? not to eat. His words cut to their hearts. 
His words exposed their very thoughts and intentions. This is not the only example we have in Scripture. Just last week, Father Jonathan preached on the rich young ruler. And Jesus Himself, the very Word of God, exposed that young man's sin, his brokenness, his rebellion, his splinters, with just the questions, with just his words. This is the effect that God's word has upon us when we hear it. But this is a hard invitation to receive, is it not? Come, come and feel the pain of your deepest being exposed, of your very thoughts and intentions being made known. The final product, you might ask, is that you'll be standing naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. This is probably not the best way to get sign-ups. See, most of us hear that, and we respond the same way that I did laying on that couch that day, crying out in fear as my dad dug away at my foot. It's terrifying. It hurts. And yet it's exactly what we need, right? It's exactly what we need. Looking back on that day with my dad, I know that he was hurting me to keep me from a worse fate, the fate of an infection. And how much more is our Heavenly Father trying to cut us, to expose us, so that he might save us from ourselves? Our hands and our feet are riddled with splinters some of which we are painfully aware of. Maybe it's a broken relationship with your parents, with your spouse, with your children, with your friends. Maybe it's the self-destructive habits that we can't shake. Maybe it's the lack of patience and gentleness in your day-to-day -day life, the lust, the sexual brokenness that we've allowed to sneak in the painful inability to put aside distractions and spend time with the Lord or time with our own families. On and on we could go, right? Often we see these splinters. They may even be painfully obvious to us. And yet God, through his word, does not stop by just exposing the obvious. No, instead he cuts deeper. He cuts deeper exposing the depth of our own rebellion, of our brokenness. He reveals the struggles beneath the struggles. He makes us aware of just how proud we are, just how self-centered we are, of our fears and of our insecurity, of our longing to be in control of our lives. And again, on and on we could go. These are often the parts of the splinter that get left behind when we think we've gotten it out, but in reality there is still that piece of wood, that little sliver of disobedience within our hearts infecting us. And yet, and yet God, in his great mercy and grace, longs to cut us deeply so that he might heal us completely. Look again with me at chapter 4, the end of our passage, verses 14 through 16. 
Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's not an anger. It's not an anger that he cuts. It's not in spite. No, he cuts because he cares. He cuts because he knows how sweet, how abundant our lives can be if we could take those splinters out. It's in his sympathetic grace, it's with our best in mind that he wounds us. In short, God cuts us because he longs for us to enter into his rest. To be the people who are at peace, who as Father Kevin mentioned a couple of weeks ago, becoming more fully human, becoming more and more like the only human to have ever actually perfectly entered into that rest of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is his desire for us. Yes, it will hurt. Yes, his word will cut us, but it is so that we might enter into his rest. So now that we, we've seen the why, the why God's word cuts us, I want us to just ask the very practical question, what might this look like for us? What might this actually look like in your week this week? And I was reading a short article that I found to be incredibly helpful uh, as, I did, as I studied for this. And it gave three challenges, three ways of going about reading God's word that will allow us, that will help us to be cut, to be healed. So I just want to share these with you. The first is this. We're to read our Bibles with one another. We're to read the Bible together. As humans, we need community. And as Christians, we believe that we also need community with our brothers and sisters. And when we come together to read, to study, to digest God's word, we're given the gift of a perspective that is not our own. And at times, that perspective, the perspective of our sisters and our brothers, will challenge us to think differently about God, about the world around us, even about ourselves. And this act of coming together to hear from God, to be cut and shaped into the image of Christ, it's going to bind us together more and more as a community in a unique way. And so this absolutely includes what we do each and every Sunday as we come and we open God's word and we study it together as a church. But it also includes what many of us do in community groups, the way we open God's word as a family, the way that we open God's word or discuss God's word over cups of coffee or meals throughout the week. This act of reading God's scriptures together, of, of, of coming to it together, it shapes us. So that's the first thing. We need to continue to find ways to read the word together. The second is this. We're to meditate on the Bible in private. Now for most of us, in order to really do this one, 
We're going to need to cut out of our lives some of the things that we're currently meditating upon, the things that are filling our minds and our time. Maybe it's watching less TV. Maybe it's deleting social media off of your phone for a season. Maybe it's saying, I'm not going to answer work emails after five. I don't know for you what it needs to be, but what I do know is that many of us, if not all of us, are distracted. We're dis- we are all distracted, and, and we have to ask that question, what is filling and shaping my heart and my mind? If we want to allow God's Word to truly cut deep, then we need to take the time to reflect, to meditate, to chew, to ask the question, how does, how does what I'm reading in His Word today affect me, affect the people in my life, affect the world around me? So that's number two, we meditate upon it. And then number three, we respond to his word in prayer. While to meditate is to ponder and to wrestle, to chew on God's word, to respond in prayer is simply to then welcome God into that reflection, into that meditation time. It's to respond to him in a way that feels fitting to you. Maybe it's voicing your questions from the scriptures. Maybe it's the concerns you have. Maybe it's expressing gratefulness, awe, or love. Whatever it is, whatever you're feeling or thinking, take the time to bring it before the Lord. As Anglicans, we get such rich examples of this built right into our worship, right into the different liturgies that we have. Try praying morning prayer or evening prayer and just see it is just one scripture after another that we get to pray back to God. Now these three ideas, reading the Bible together, meditating upon it, praying it back to God, they're so simple, right? And most of you, I'm sure, have heard this a million times. And yet as I was preparing for this message, these three things struck me uniquely. And that's partly to do with the ways that the Lord has been trying to cut me recently, the ways he's been trying to bring healing into my life. So I just want to give you one example, um, one real-life example from my own life. As some of you may know, that I, I had the privilege of serving as a chaplain this past summer at Shadyside Hospital. Now, that was one of the greatest experiences I've ever had and it was one of the most difficult things I have ever done in my whole life. And one of the reasons it was so difficult for me was that as I sat with those fighting cancer, as I sat with those who learned that they would be going home on hospice care, as I sat with those whose loved ones were dying, I found myself faced with old fears, with old questions. And those fears sounded a lot like this. Does God really love these people? Does God really want these people to know him, to experience his love, his joy, his peace? Do I love these people more than God does? These are fears that throughout my life have come up and sometimes gone away. And yet they came up in a strong way this summer And thanks to the encouragement of Mother Andrea and others, I decided I I couldn't just ignore them, but I needed to face them. 
And so in a nonlinear sort of way, I did these three things. I found myself opening the scriptures and looking for what God says about himself, for who he says that he is. And I found time and time again that he is the God who loves us so much that he gave his only son, that he is the God who longs for all people to know him. And I spent the time to not just read these truths, but to chew on them, to meditate on them. And then I found myself discussing my fear, not just my fears, but these scriptures with my brothers and sisters, with Father Jonathan, with Father Jack Gabig, with other people in my life. I found myself allowing their perspectives to shape my own. And then I found myself praying throughout the day praying these things back to God. When the fears would come up, I found myself praying things like, Lord God, I know you're the one who loves us. Help me to believe that today. Help me to trust that more today. And throughout this entire process, God was cutting me. He was trying to cut away the, little, the doubts, the lack of faith that I had in him sometimes, my desires for control and my fear, all of that, he was trying to take that away, not just to take it away, but to replace it with his joy and with his peace. In other words, he was replacing it with his rest. His cutting of you and of me, it's a gift. It's the gift of a very, very gracious God who loves us. And so today... I encourage you that if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Instead, let us enter his rest together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that it is your desire to not leave us with our splinters, suffering in our disobedience, but that you long for us to enter your rest. And so, Lord, soften our hearts to your word, and, and please, Lord, lead us ever deeper into your peace and your rest. We ask this all in the name of Christ. Amen.